G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-orientated, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. On the side, I had this Rolodex of freelancers, of virtual assistants that I had used, um, that I had re- really relied on and counted on. And talking to other Amazon sellers, they had the same issue I did. It just took too long to find and vet people. And if you needed an Amazon listing made today, you need it today. You didn't want to wait two weeks to, to vet someone. So I started offering them my Rolodex of people. And that was the beginning of free up. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show.
Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Nathan Hirsch. Nathan is an entrepreneur and expert in remote hiring and e-commerce. He's the co-founder and CEO of FreeUp.com, a marketplace that connects businesses with pre-vetted freelancers in commerce, digital marketing, and much, much more. Nathan's story started way back in 2006 when he founded his first online store back in college where he was selling student textbooks to other students. Uh, over a period of six years, he was able to rapidly increase that, that online e-marketplace to sell over $25 million worth of sales to over 10,000 customers. Uh, I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Nathan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Reed, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Mate, my pleasure. Um, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of what you do, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? So my parents always made me get summer jobs. I was working, I worked at this meat store. It's kind of like a grocery store, but they focused mostly on meat called Arnold's Meats right across the street from me. I did umpiring back in the day um, for my the town of Meadow and eventually became head umpire. But one of the things that, that really stood out to me was I got, I was applying for a new job. I wanted to make a little bit more money. I think I was making minimum wage was like eight or nine bucks an hour. And I really wanted to make over 10, like 11 bucks an hour. And I had two jobs and one, two job offers or two jobs I was trying to get a job with. And one was 10 bucks an hour. And the other one, I talked to them and they had offered me 11. So I go back to the one with 10 and I'm like, hey, sorry, um, like the other person's offering me more money. I'm going to turn this down. And the guy responds back, that's too bad. I was going to offer you 12. <laughs> And so I, I come crawling back and I'm a kid. I'm like, I'm begging them. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I, I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be a great worker. And um, they took me in and they gave me the job at 12. So that, I learned a very valuable business lesson just about negotiating and not just cutting people off and giving people a chance to match your offer. So I, I'll always remember that. How old are you with that first negotiation? Young, 16, 17, <laughs> something like that. It's awesome to show that those sort of looking back at those times and those pivotal moments about learning the value of a dollar, right? The difference between those two jobs was literally $1 or you thought it was going to be more like $3, but you know, he was always like, I was always going to pay you 12 bucks an hour, which is, uh, which is great, but it, it really does instill the value of a dollar. Um, walk us through your background and how you've got from where those days back in 16, 17, umpire, umpiring, being a butcher uh, into what you do today and how you stumbled into the world of e-commerce and, and, and eventually into freeup.com. Yeah. And just to clarify, I was never a butcher. I don't know if I could have handled that. I was just a cashier. But <laughs> Got it. Got it. Got it. Lighting so, the meat around, right? <laughs> exactly. So my parents were both teachers growing up. And so I kind of grew up with the mentality that I was going to go to school, get a real job, work for 20 years or 30 years, retire. And that's what my parents did. That's what they're doing now. They're retired. They're traveling the world. They're loving life. But from those jobs, I was working 40 hours a week, every summer break, every winter break from the time I was 15 on. I really learned a ton about sales, marketing, business, but I also learned that I hated working for other people. I couldn't stand it. And I knew that if I graduated and got a real job, no matter what that job was, if I was working for someone else, I was going to be miserable. So when I got to college and I went to Quinnipiac University, I, I, started, I kind of looked at it as a ticking clock. I had four years to start my own business. And if I didn't, I was not going to be happy after college. So I a bookstore. I thought they were ripping people off. They were ripping people off. And I offered people more money. I created a little referral program. And before I knew it, I had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books. And I would take these books. I would buy them at the end of the semester, hold on to them, sell them to different distributors at, at the end of next semester. And my college actually sent me a cease and desist letter. They told me to knock it off, stop competing with them. 
And my parents are both teachers. I didn't want to get kicked out of college. That would not have gone over well. So I, I pivoted and I had sold some of these books on Amazon. And this was back in 2008. No one knew what Amazon was. It was kind of like this big bookstore that was just getting into other products. And I thought it was so cool. I could have this 24-7 storefront. I could use my customer service skills. I would get money, like automatically deposit my bank account. This was all new. No, no one knew what it was. And I just had to figure out what to sell besides books. So I started experimenting with products I was familiar with, like uh, sporting equipment, video games, computers, typical college guy stuff. And I just failed over and over and over. The only thing I could get to sell were these books. And it wasn't until I branched out of my comfort zone. And one day I came across a deal on baby products that I actually started selling. And sales really took off. It turns out there was a big baby product industry. And people thought I was crazy. People thought I was running a scam. I remember I was listing baby products in class and people were looking over my shoulders being like, what is this guy doing? And this business took off. I think I sold over a million dollars in the first year or so. And my parents told me I should probably start paying taxes. So I meet with an accountant. And the first question he asked me is, when are you going to hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off. I'm doing everything at the time. I'm like, why would I do that? That's money out of my pocket. They're going to steal my idea. They're going to this hurt my business. Standard entrepreneurial stuff. And he just laughed in my face. And he said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. Well, sure enough, my first busy season comes around, fourth quarter, I'm doing everything, answering every email, listing every product, changing every price, and I just get destroyed. I'm working 20 hours a day, my social life plummets, my grades go down, and I work my butt off because I've always been a hard worker to just keep this business alive until January. And when I get to January, I think to myself, man, I can never let that happen again. I need to start hiring people. So I know nothing about hiring. I'm 20, 21. I post a job on Facebook. This guy in my business law class messages me. He says, hey, I don't know what you do. I need a job. I don't even interview him. I just hire him on the spot. Ends up being an unbelievable hire. He's smart. He's hardworking. He takes over a large aspect of the business, so I don't have to do it anymore. And I end up making him my business partner um, years later. So I just hit the jackpot right from the beginning. But there I am as this punk 21-year-old thinking, man, this, 20, this hiring thing is easy. You just post a job, someone shows up, it makes your life easier. And I just proceed to make bad hire after bad hire after bad hire, quickly learning that college kids, not very reliable. No one who was 30 wanted to work for me being a young entrepreneur. And that's how I got into the remote hiring space using the Upworks, the Fibers. And eventually through that, I thought, you know what, I, I can build a better, faster platform. And, and that's what led me to free up. So um, that's kind of how I went from a broke college kid to, to books to eventually the free up marketplace. You said you did an MBA at college, even though you weren't studying an MBA, <laughs> right? Say that again. You were essentially doing an MBA at college, even though you weren't studying for you know a business, a business degree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had this degree here for business and I got these lists every semester, never used it, <laughs> but I always wanted that backup plan. Um, to, to have something because I've always been a, a realistic person. I mean, businesses fail. And even going into my last week of college, I had some job offers and I had my Amazon business and I didn't know which one to do. And my parents have always been supportive. They, they're awesome. They're, they're supportive to this day. They were supportive before. But as teachers, as someone who cares about their kid, they wanted me to take the 
the, the job with the health insurance and the security and all the stuff that goes with it. So it came down to my last day at college where I had to make that decision. And, and I decided on the Amazon business. Awesome. Awesome. And tell, talk to me about the Amazon business because it is such a, back in the day, it would have been, when was that first baby product that you listed online? Because that's going back, what, 2000, you said 2008, so maybe 2009, 2010? Yeah. I mean, it was the wild, wild west. I mean, now you've got all these courses and gurus right. and software and people trying to figure out Amazon's algorithm. And, and when, when changes come out, it's blasted all over social media for all the Amazon sellers. There was none of that. It was very secluded. There were no like, even Facebook was kind of gaining traction back then. So there weren't like these big groups connecting other Amazon sellers like there are now. So, I mean, it was very secluded. Every, you wanted everything to be kept secret because you didn't want any other Amazon seller to, to steal your idea. You didn't really know how Amazon works. Every time you got a notification or a method, message or a change, you were just kind of learning on the fly and, and figuring out everything for yourself. Now, with that said, it was also pretty awesome because there weren't that many sellers out there. So I could list a product and I was very popular and be the only person on that listing for for months and make a good amount of money. Whereas now, if it's a popular product, there's a hundred people on it tomorrow. So th there's a lot more information out there, and there's a lot there's a lot of potential. I have a lot of clients who make a good amount of money on Amazon, but it's not the wild, wild west, make money quick, rich scheme that it kind of was back in the day. Right. How did you go about sourcing product, particularly baby products? I'm assuming you'd have to go to China and figure all the import taxes out and all that sort of stuff. Or were you make getting it made locally here in the states? Yeah. So important thing to remember is I wasn't make my own products. I didn't own my own trademarks, my own patents, anything like that. What I did is I reached out to US manufacturers. I never went international and they didn't know what Amazon was either at the time. So I went to them and I said, Hey, listen, like you're good at making your products and you're good at shipping your products. I've got this sales channel that I'm becoming very good at. Let's partner you. I'll get the orders. I'll list your products. I'll get sales. You can keep my credit card on file. I will send you an email. Eventually, I built my own software to send them the information. But at first, it was an email. This is what you send. This is like the color variation. This is the address to send it to. You ship it and charge my card, and I can mark it up however I want to get the sale. And hmm. I made the difference between what I sold it for, what I what I bought it from. And it wasn't until years later I learned it was called drop shipping. <laughs> exactly. And that would have been, were you, was that a thing back in the day, drop shipping, or you just you stumbled across it? I didn't know it was called drop shipping until three years later. There wow. was nothing that I found on the internet. Now, I don't want to say I invented drop shipping. I have no idea how true that is, but I, I was definitely one of the first who knows people um, that, that were doing drop shipping. And so with the, did you end up selling that, that the Amazon products, the Amazon, sorry, the Amazon business for, for a profit? And, and, and did you now roll it into the freeup.com? I didn't. So here's what ended up happening with Amazon. We I sold over twenty five million dollars total. We capped wow. out about five million dollars a year. Now that's with great. A Congratulations, by the way. In, in the wild, wild west, that's bloody awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And and like I said, we got in before the courses, before the gurus, before people knew what Amazon was. So when we hit five million dollars a year, all of a sudden the courses and the gurus start coming out. Competition goes out there. We're not selling our own products, so there's a lot of other people trying to sell the same products and our sales drop. They go into that two to $3 million range. We're still making a good amount of money, but we're not scaling like we were before. And we're not creating our own brand, right? There, no one knows who you are on Amazon. We're just one of many third-party sellers. We weren't selling off of Amazon. We weren't selling our own products. All we were doing is kind of going in circles, 
with our competitors and Amazon's algorithm and, and trying to, to keep matching. And after doing that for a few years and, and kind of staying in that same range, like one year we'd finish at 3.5, next year it'd be 2.7, and we'd go up to 3.2, it, it got old pretty fast. It wasn't, it wasn't fun as an entrepreneur. So on the side, I had this Rolodex of freelancers, of virtual assistants that I had used um, that I had re really relied on and counted on. And talking to other Amazon sellers, they had the same issue I did. It just took too long to find and vet people. And if you needed an Amazon listing made today, you need it today. You didn't want to wait two weeks to, to vet someone. So I started offering them my Rolodex of people. And that was the beginning of FreeUp. Well, that quickly took off. People loved it. They loved my vetting process. I ran out of freelancers. So I had to start recruiting and getting new freelancers. And the FreeUp, the marketplace, I invested $5,000 to build this software. And within a year or so, that surpassed my Amazon sales. So wow. there I am with two businesses, one of which I'm sick of. <laughs> I, can't, I don't want to do Amazon anymore. This other one, I'm growing my brand. I'm working with, with clients, more B2B. It was a lot more fun. I'm, I'm helping a lot of people. I mean, last year, we paid out over $6 million to freelancers around the world, half of which are in third world countries. So there's a lot more um, giving back and motivation there than, than just pushing products and adding money to my bank account. So it became a decision. We had three business partners with the Amazon business, two of us. Me and Connor moved to FreeUp and we let the, the other business partner have that Amazon business. So we didn't end up selling it. There wasn't really anything to sell. Again, we weren't, we didn't have our own product. We didn't have our own brand. There was nothing really there. And, and we decided that it was the right move for us to focus on FreeUp. Interesting because so many questions come out of that. First and foremost, I think what I'm hearing from you, the reason you got sick of the Amazon business was the lack of certainty in your income, right? Because you didn't have a white label product you had, you were just drop shipping. And because you didn't create an asset or you didn't create a brand, you were just, you know, at the whim of other people's products and thus people can come and copycat you very, very quickly and undermine you and undercut you and, you, you know, your business suffers from that. Would that be correct in that summarize, summarizing that? Yeah. I'm not sure if we didn't see like a, a long-term thing because I, I always think that you can make money on Amazon. If I stop what I was doing right now and I try to start making money on Amazon, you can do it. There's a okay. lot of potential. But it's a lot of it's a lot of like starting over. Like you find twenty profitable products in my business model. Find twenty profitable products and they're good for six months. Then you got to find new ones. Then you got to find new ones. Then you got to find new ones. So am I going to spend the next thirty years of my life just continuing to find new products, or do I want to grow a brand? Do I want to grow a more sustainable business? Do I want to grow one that's not completely dependent on Amazon? Because Amazon can shut down my account. They can suspend my listings tomorrow. They're a private marketplace. They, they they're in full control. So. There was a lot of elements there. Um, and it's not that I couldn't make money on Amazon. It had more to do with, I guess you're right, the, the long-term plan, but but in a slightly different mindset. Right, right. And and so let's talk about that whole niching and pivoting and, and, and realizing opportunity when you saw it. So you said you had a Rolodex of people helping you in your Amazon business. Why did you need those people in the, in the beginning for your Amazon business? Yeah. So dropshipping, there's a lot going on. Again, there was no software back then. So some of the stuff, not all of it could have been automated. Let's say I started a dropshipping business now. You need people to respond to customer service emails. Um, you need people to adjust pricing because if the manufacturer adjusts the price, we don't want to be selling it for a loss. If manufacturer goes out of stock, we got to take that product down. If they get new listings, we got to put those products up. Um, then there's dealing with, with like editing and optimizing listings, how the wording is, how the images are. There's just a lot of manual tasks. And then there's also quality assurance. When 
we were not just going to send an email to the manufacturer and then move on to something else and just hope that they send it to the right place and everything goes well. We need to follow that tracking number. We need to check in with the client, make sure that they got it and, and that everything was good and stay ahead of issues. So there, there's just a, a lot of work that I couldn't do that who we could outsource. And then there's more creative stuff. Like I'm not a graphic designer to make images. I'm not a great writer. Like, and, and at some point as the owner of a business, you can't be doing all those things. Right. Right. And so talk to me about the, you, you mentioned before 20 hours a week, uh, 20 hours a day at school. And I assume you didn't know these customer service tricks, following up with a customer, making sure that the manufacturing price is correct, making sure you're optimizing your, your Amazon page to reflect what the, product is and as it's changing and evolving or it's out of stock. So learning all of that, was that during that 20 hours and you were sort of like just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to like just do it as much as like like an egg beater? Or were you trying to reflect on what you've been learning to then put in systems in order to create and essentially morph into um, freeup.com? If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's all systems going back to the, I'm a big systems guy, the, the going back to the Amazon business and, and you learn as a young entrepreneur, like, let's say that I send five orders for the manufacturer and two of them don't get there. Okay. Well, we need to build the system for tracking numbers. Let's, right. let's have a, a document. And we start off in a Google doc, eventually turn it into a software where, Hey, this is an order that came in. This is an order we sent to the manufacturer. This is when they tell us they ship it. This is us checking the tracking number. This is us confirming that it's done and everything goes through the, through the process. With FreeUp, I mean, we get 2,000 applicants a week to get on our platform. Wow. We have a system of checking the applicant and we decide who gets an interview. We have a system for interviewing. We have a system for onboarding them. Not that there's much onboarding, but making sure that, that they're informed, they can set up a profile, they get the access they need and, and all that to get on the platform. Then once they're there and, and the clients create an account, we have a, a newsletter that goes out that shows them, hey, here are different things that you can do. Here are different options. We, when they put in a request, we have to fill it. When an issue comes in or a billing or whatever it is, there's systems and canned responses for, for every possible situation. And when you get when you encounter a new situation, you create a process for that. So if the same thing happens again, you're, you're ready and there's a system to go through. I, but I think it's really important for all the listeners out there listening to your story is that you were, you were systematically creating systems and documenting the process along the way. Every time... You said like before, you're not a graphic designer. You didn't know how to do certain things. You didn't like to do certain elements of the business. As a, as a business owner, you've got to be cognitive of those systems that you don't essentially like. And how do you fire yourself from doing that thing, right? And that's essentially what you, you went out and learned and how, how to do. Um, so talk to me now about that pivot from a product-based Amazon selling widget to a service-based online call it product. It was really more of a service and how much that is more of an asset than just say some random baby product. Yeah. I mean, you're, you you want to build something that that's sustainable over time. And there's, there's a lot of things that are assets. I mean, our website, our, our YouTube channel, our content, our partnerships, our, our client base. I mean, there, there's different things depending on how you look at it. And with Amazon, you, you pretty much just have a, a product line that, that Amazon can eventually copy or the competitors do. And Amazon owns the customer list. They own the marketing. They own the ability for you to just have an account. And with, with FreeUp, I mean, there's certain things that can happen. My Our, our FreeUp Facebook page had an issue earlier this year and we lost our, our FreeUp Facebook page and it sucked, but our business didn't go down. We created a new page. We, we learned something and we moved on. And so there's different aspects in there of just not having your entire business depend on one single thing. 
again, with that said, there's people that have way, that are selling $100 million on Amazon, which are way bigger than FreeUp, and they've had way more success than I had. So there, there's no right or wrong there. There's just a lot of things to keep in mind as you go through the entrepreneurial journey. I'm interrupting this episode to remind you guys about the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. If you want to take your investing career to the next level and surround yourself with the best in the business, then apply today. Spots are filling up fast. I'm only taking a handful of people for the next round, so get your application by emailing me at info, I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com. Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Now, back into the show. Have you created a lifestyle business or a corporation in, with FreeUp? Yeah, I mean, it's more of a lifestyle business. Right. I mean, it, it, I still work a lot because I love the business and I'm trying to grow it. If I wanted to take the next two weeks off, I could. I, I work remote. I, we have no office. I don't have to wake up at a certain time unless I have like a podcast or something. I, I control my own schedule. I can adjust my calendar. So if I don't want you to be able to book a podcast on Tuesdays, I can turn that off or back on. Um, so I have full flexibility uh, to work whenever I want. So it is in that sense. Um, and we definitely don't have any type of corporate um, like cultures or anything like that. We're much more of that startup lifestyle mentality where we want people to to enjoy working with, with the platform. Clients, freelancers, um, our internal team, all of that stuff. So it, it's more in that lifestyle business, but it's not the... We haven't at this to this point. It's not the I'm going to go sit at the beach for eight hours and check my email once a day type business. Well, I don't think anyone can do that, particularly when you're young, right? You get too stir crazy and get a bit of cabin fever. Like I got to do some work. So. <laughs> but tell me how the difference is between FreeUp versus like Brickwall or Upwork.com or some of those early e-commerce sites that that hit hit the market and really transformed online, even for my business, you know, graphic designs and finding freelancers is so important because as you said before, like I also don't, I'm not a graphic designer, but I do need graphics for my business. I do need websites to be built. I do need content to be created or edited or whatever that might be. And I need a platform in order to go do that. So is FreeUp just similar to those other platforms? And if so, how do you differentiate your, your business to, to stand out? Yeah. So we tried to take everything that we liked about the other platforms and change everything that we didn't like. So we get thousands of applicants every week, virtual assistants, freelancers, agencies from all over the world, five to a hundred plus per hour, US, non-US, um, over a hundred skill sets. We vet them for skill, attitude, communication, and the top 1% get in. And then clients get access to them whenever they need them. It's free to sign up. There's no monthly fees. It takes a minute to create an account. Whenever you want a freelancer, you put in a request. We'll send you one person by default. If you want to meet three or five or whatever it is, just let us know. Most people come to us because they don't want to meet 50 options, but we'll cater to what you want. From there, you can meet with someone that we already vetted. You can interview them, make sure you like them. If you like them, you can hire them. You can negotiate rate. You can agree to fix price. The freelancers set their own rates. If you don't like them, you can click pass and provide us feedback, and we'll get you other options based on that feedback. So it's a fast and efficient process up front. On the back end, we have 24-7 support in case you have even the smallest issue and a no turnover guarantee. If someone quits for any reason, we cover replacement costs and get you a new person right away. So that's really how we're different, the pre-vetting, the speed, the customer service, and the protection. Right. And and I guess for those people who aren't familiar with Upwork or um, some of those online e-commerce freelancing services is that... I know I use uh, Upwork.com and it's more of a, I post, it's nearly like a Craigslist for uh, job postings, right? And then people then apply for it and I have to vet them and look at all their star ratings and CVs and it becomes very cumbersome. I'm assuming FreeUp takes that out of it and they, you only get 
the, the hand-selected people that, that you think are best for that particular job description, correct? Yeah, exactly. So it, it is a little bit more hands-on. And we I'm kind of in the mindset that we can get you really good freelancers, but if you don't know what to do with those freelancers after the fact, it, it only helps you so much. So we right. also put out a lot of content to help you hire your first VA or to help you set a, a scope and a project with a freelancer and, and, and protect yourself or to work with an agency, whatever it is. So we put a lot of content out there as well. And so t- talk to me about like when as a business owner, regardless of what business you're in, do you think is the right time, the first time to hire a virtual assistant or bring on uh, outside freelance help? Yeah. So every business is different. There's no like, this is you the time you have to hire. This has to be your first hire. It just doesn't work like that. But what I recommend doing is look at your budget. Look at how much money you made last month and then figure out how aggressive or how conservative you want to be. If you want to be super aggressive, maybe you're investing 40, 60% of your profits back into the business and the hiring. If you're more conservative, maybe it's 10 to 30%. But if you pick a percentage, let's say it's 20, you can always go up five or down 5% the following month, but that gives you a starting point. And then from there, there are three different levels of people you can hire. You've got the followers, the doers, and the experts. So the followers are five to 10 bucks an hour, non-US. They're there to follow your systems, your processes. The doers are the specialists, the graphic designers, the bookkeepers, the writers. They're there to do that specific task at a high level. They're not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. And then you got the experts, high-level freelancers, consultants, agencies um, that are um, there to bring their own system, their own process to consult, to execute game plans, stuff like that. So you then have to figure out, hey, am I more stuck in the day-to-day operations of my business? If so, you need to hire a VA and a follower. Or am I someone where projects are building up that you're not good at? Maybe you need a website, you need a logo, you need an infographic, or you need a blog post. And you hire the doer, or are you taking on something that, that you're not good at that you need an expert? Let's say it's Facebook ads. You need to start running ads for your business. You could spend the next six months learning how to be a Facebook ad expert, but that's probably not a good use of your time. And you can't do that with every single thing in your business. So you have to hire an expert to hit the ground running. So that's how I figure out when the right time to hire is. I do that even today, not just on my first hire, but with every hire. You look at your budget, you figure out what you can afford, and then, hey, do I need the follower? Do I need the doer? Or do I need the expert? Interesting. No, I think that's really good to, to break it down into follower, doer, and expert and the different levels. So what can you expect to pay for the different for followers, for doers, for expert, like in terms of just rough, and I assume it's on a price per hour basis? Yeah, you can do fixed pricing too. And, and the freelancers set their own rates. They, they This might be higher or lower. And they're also real people. They don't always fit into perfect levels. But the followers right. are in that 5 to 10 range. Doers are in that 10 to 30 range. Experts are in that 30 and up range. Got it, got it. Yeah, no, I think it's really important. And I, I use virtual assistants all the time. Um, and I've had one on sort of uh, retainer for the last, you know, three or four years. And he just does remedial tasks for me that I don't want to do. But I've also got other virtual assistants who are like executive assistants. They do high level stuff. They interact with our uh, investors. So, and I also have experts, which are, which are my underwriters who for, for my underwriting deals, I go out and outsource that. But I think really the, the key message here is when you are growing a business, you have to look back onto what you did earlier in your in the pieces, reflect on your business and the systems that you're trying to create in order to free up your time, right? Because you were just 20 hours a week, just egg beating, egg beating, egg beating, can't get out of your own way. And a lot of entrepreneurs at the beginning, particularly when you sat down with that tax guy and it's like, where's all your employees? You laughed at him and said, I want to keep all the profits, but then you have no time to do anything working 20 hours a day. And it's so important to have that self-reflection and have a service like yours to go out there and say, hey, okay, I need a little bit of help here. And it's okay to have help because you're creating, you want to create a business. You don't want to create a job, right? And that's very, very important for everyone listening to this show and I think to listening to your story. So 
Talk to me about the, the gig economy now and how it's just everyone seems to be wanting to become an entrepreneur. Everyone wants to be Amazon sellers. Everyone wants to have their own thing. Screw W2 jobs, man. I'm out of here. You know, so where do you think this world's going? I, I, do you think we're still, you know, the, the, the growth in this market of being, your, your, you know, the, the candlestick maker, the bread maker and all those sort of individualistic entrepreneurial skills that people are now going out and creating businesses around? Is that, is that, is that, is that future proof? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the direction everything's going. I think that from the offering services side, like why have one employer, or one client? It's it's risky. If someone fires you, you're out of your revenue. If you break it down and you can do, you have more flexibility, you can do with what you want. If someone drops you, you've got other revenue sources. So I think it makes a lot of sense there. Um, and, and the average person isn't that productive nine to five. They might be better in the morning or better at night or better working two hours, spurts, whatever it is. Um, and I think from the hiring side, not every business needs everyone full-time. You might need a, right. some full-time people, some part-time people, some projects done, some people on and off. I mean, I like to build a Rolodex people. So I have two or three graphic designers that I can go to when I need projects. And I understand they have other clients too. And I might not always be their top priority, but if one's busy, the other one can do it. And you don't need an office. You don't need overhead. I, I once got an office for my Amazon business. It was probably one of the worst business decisions I ever made. I, I quickly got rid of that and went remote. So I, I think... Everyone wants that flexibility in, in not just their working, but also on the business side too. So I don't see why it won't continue to go in that direction. Yeah, no, you make a very good point about the, um, uh, the flexibility working with, with different freelancers. I know personally for those people who are in the real estate world, I have four part-time uh, real estate analysts and I've had them for, for many, many years and I've gone through cycles because people you know, change and they, these are people who have full-time jobs and work on the side for a little bit of extra money. And I've gone through about probably 15 to 20 over the last four or five years, but I keep cycling and have, I want to try and have two to two to four people on on hand at any one time so I can send them deals to underwrite because I know that that's a bottleneck in my business and I don't want to do it. So it's very much important. I use the, I use online sources like resources like freeup.com and, and, and upwork.com. So for those people listening out, out to this podcast, think about the businesses systems in your business that you can free up and you know use some outside resource and if you can hire it out for 30 bucks an hour and you can go off and do something else to grow the business then it's money very very well spent and i think uh the, the big the big thing that a lot of entrepreneurs particularly sole entrepreneurs have got to get used to is letting go right it's that whole process of i don't need to control everything and i think the, the day that people get out of their own way is the day that the business starts to grow um nathan what is the biggest piece of advice that you have for someone starting an online business today starting to go out and in, into the world um looking back at your journey yeah i like to focus on low risk high reward situations i mean there, there's always the people that are like oh dump fifty thousand dollars into facebook ads or here <laughs> like take this huge risk but there's so it's never been easier to make money with a laptop and with a computer and you don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work or works for one person doesn't work for you. So I like to focus on lots of small, low risk, low cost things, invest some time and money into different things and see what works. Read the market, ask for feedback, talk to clients and what works, put more time, put more money into and what doesn't work, pull back on and, and maybe revisit later with, with a different approach. So that's how I've gone about it. I started two businesses with less than five thousand dollars, and wow. both businesses didn't end up exactly where I thought. I didn't th think I'd be selling baby products. I I thought free up. I, yeah, I originally thought free up would be a little bit more like courses to get a VA, and then we kind of pivoted to being VA freelance or agency marketplace, and and, and started off just Amazon sellers and branched out to marketing because we read the market. So a lot of things changes. You don't need a five-year, ten-year plan. What you need to do is try a lot of different things, see what works, and then invest in what's working. Awesome. Awesome stuff, mate. What do you have planned for the future, um, both 
uh, for the business-wise and maybe a little bit personally? Yeah, business-wise, we're investing a lot in software. We just hired a full-time developer. We want, we've want we always felt like the software is kind of lagged behind the rest of the service. So we're going to be um, investing a lot in there, a lot of different features. I, I can't really share, but we're excited about it. I think they're going to be really awesome going forward. Um, and, and me personally, I mean, I, I, I just turned 30. I feel like I, I'm more of an adult now. I got engaged. I mean, we're going to be getting married soon. Thank you. Probably starting a family, probably upgrading into a, a bigger house. And, and I, I think there's just a lot of... I think people sometimes are scared of being an adult, but I'm kind of excited. It's like a new chapter, a new adventure, and hopefully I still have the flexibility and the freedom and the drive that I have now. Awesome, mate. Well, look, it sounds like you're crushing it. You're only just turned 30 and you're just getting engaged and you've got so much ahead of you. So um, that's pretty freaking awesome. Hey, mate, at the end of every show, I like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what is the, uh, the daily habit, habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? So I find out what the most productive time of the day is for me. And for me, it's morning. For other people, yep. it might be middle of the night. But from 6 to 9 a.m., I'm the most productive. So I want to maximize that time every single day. I want to do the most important projects. I want to make sure that I'm not sleeping in or going to the gym during that time. I want to maximize that every single day. On Specifically on work, right? On work, yes. Yeah, and do you do anything like... Uh, are you, you know, do you do lists? Do you do to-do lists? Do you uh, have any widgets do you, uh, to, to track what you're working on? Because I know some, as the leader and the CEO of the business, it can get a lot, right? You're trying to be the puppeteer controlling all the puppets. Yeah, I, I have a Trello board of, of everything I should be doing. And there's a certain delegation proponent too. I'm figuring out, hey, what should I be doing versus what should my team leader, should, mm-hmm. what should my business partner be doing? Awesome, awesome stuff. Um, who is the most influential person in your career to date? So my aunt, I, I mentioned that story that in that last week at college, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I remember I called her, she's an entrepreneur and she's been an entrepreneur for years. And I remember pacing around my, my fraternity's house front yard for an hour, just talking to her. And she, she essentially said like, Hey, you can go out and get another job. That's always going to be there. Um, but if you love this business and you're passionate about it, you should do, you should try it and see where it leads you. And that was obviously very good advice. Yeah, I think it's so important for so many people listening to this show is that you can always go out and get another job, right? The, the time is right now. If you're passionate about what you do and you want to become free or financially free or take control of your own time, there's always going to be a fallback and that fallback is going out and getting another job. Plus, you're going to learn a ton of skills. Like all, I can't even begin to imagine all the skills you learned from doing your business versus what you actually learned in school and in, in university, I, right? I, I don't think you can put... Can you measure those two? No, I mean, I, I learned a lot in school. I mean, I have relationships there. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Wow. Um, I have the degree I never used. And did I get an ROI in my investment? Who knows? But I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Right. It's your, it's your life experience. It's what it's your path. It's your journey. And, and you, you're sitting here today tell, telling me how freaking awesome it has been. So, so well done. Um, so the most influ- what is the most influential tool in your real estate, in your, real estate, in your business uh, today? And when I say tool, it could be software. Or it could be hardware related. Yeah, good question. Um, I'll tell you one that that's actually very underrated that has saved me a lot of time. So I'm a big fan of canned responses. We turn everything into canned response. Not everything like sounds like a robot. It's usually very conversational. But as an entrepreneur, you get asked the same questions every single day. You have the same outreach. You get the same responses. So we have everything stored in this app. Um, I forget what it's called. It's uh, a word board. Um, so every canned response is stored in Wordboard, and and if someone like texts me a question, I can respond in two seconds, or it, I can do it on Facebook or whatever it is, and it just over the course of a year, it saves me 
thousands of hours. Wow. So it's, it's an algorithm that tracks your responses to similar questions in the past and then uses it to spit out new responses? Is that, did I? No, so it, it turns out, I pretty much turn every canned response into a button. So I just have Got like it. a list of buttons that, that, that if someone says, hey, how does billing work? I click the billing button and it sends them an ah. answer to answer it real quick without me having to do anything else. That's awesome. That's really cool. So it's called WordBoard, right? Yep. WordBoard.com, awesome stuff. Mate, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career to date? What did you learn from that failure? <laughs> I hired someone. I taught them how to do everything, got them all trained up, took like six months, and then I went on vacation and he quit on me on the first day. Wow. And so I six months of training down the drain, I was devastated. And I learned a very valuable lesson about diversifying and departmentalizing. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs fall into that trap. They make a few bad hires. They, they finally find someone they like. So they load that person up with everything and they don't realize how risky that really makes their business. Mm. And that's really true. So you're saying don't put all your eggs in one basket on that one employee? Yeah. If you need a full-time VA, hire two for 20. Now you don't have to go crazy. If you get 10 emails a day, you don't have to hire four customer service reps, but within reason, diversify, split it up, make sure that your business is not dependent on any one person. Yes. Very, very good advice. Very, very good advice. Mate, the, the last question is where can you reach you? Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be more in your sphere. They want to find out more about, um, um, sorry, <laughs> they want to find out more about your business. Where do they go? Yeah. So you can join my Facebook group, Outsourcing Masters. If you go to freeup.com with three E's, my calendar and my team's calendar is right at the top. You can book a meeting with me. Mention this podcast, get a free $25 credit for um, for signing up. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, to helping a lot of people that are listening. Awesome, mate. Well, I want to just sort of re reflect a little bit back on some of the things that I, I took away from today's conversation. And I really think that the big, the big thing that you learned uh, early on in your career was the ability to systemize your business. And that's a, that's a skill that is a lot of people struggle at, right? They to get business owners struggle to grow because they get in their own way and understanding that there are other ways people that can come on board and help you for relatively low cost uh, doing remedial tasks that you don't necessarily need to be doing as the business owner. I think that is very, very key and one of the big takeaways from today's conversation. I also like what you said about low risk, high reward in today's e-commerce society. Um, there's so much different gurus and things and Facebook ads and Amazon selling and all this sort of stuff. Remember that, as you said, you've got a laptop, you know, you don't have to go and spend a lot of money on these great you viewed ideas because you've seen it on social media. So I think, you know, sticking to your lane and understanding what that uh, low risk but high reward is. Um, and, and then the fact that you started with less than 5,000 bucks, I think that is super freaking cool. So, um, mate, did I, did I leave anything out? No, man, this has been fun. I really appreciate you having me on and I'll send you over some free up credit to try us out as well. Awesome, mate. Well, I want to, again, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we will catch up very, very soon. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Nathan and freeup.com. If you have any questions for Nathan or you think you need to start outsourcing your business, uh, any tasks within your business, definitely hit up Nathan at freeup.com. Uh, I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to, to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that is what we are all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a cracking.